Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the Planet 30 podcast. Before I introduce our guest, I would first like to thank each and every one of you for your continued support of the podcast. Your encouragement means everything to me and my team. I wanted to remind you, our valued audience, that you can leave comments about individual episodes under that particular guest's interview on our website, planet30.com. Just click on the guest's picture and scroll down until you see the comment box. We love hearing your thoughts and opinions on our episodes. I would also like to encourage you to like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at OnPlanet30. Again, thank you so much for your support. And now, today's episode of the Planet 30 podcast. Chicago is a special city. Two former First Ladies, Robin Williams, Jennifer Hudson, Walt Disney, Bernie Mac, and today's guest, Takia Crystal Kima, are all products of this spectacular city. It is certainly a blessing to be gifted in one facet of the arts. However, Takia executes at an extremely high level in multiple areas. The director, actor, writer, producer, and poet has struck gold on and off screen. Her initial plan in life saw her heading in the direction of finance. However, a few profound experiences in college led her to the arts. It didn't take long for her to be hooked. Although I am certain that she would have made a brilliant banker or trader, the world is grateful that she found her true calling and has in turn shared her talent, spirit, and energy with us all. The term artist is used loosely by many. In the case of Takia Crystal Kima, it is not a vague suggestion of what she does. It is the essence of who she is. From improv to live theater, from network television to movies, Takia has graced our screens for several decades. She is a true legend. Her playful voiceover work on Pinky and the Brain made us smile. Her iconic roles on In Living Color, Cosby, and That's So Raven are unforgettable. Her solo stage performances have provoked our thoughts. Oh yes, Takia Crystal Kima is the definition of the word artist. For all that she has accomplished, she has remained humble and is an exemplary human being. It was a definite honor and pleasure being able to share time with her and allowing her to share her own narrative. A narrative that continues through her excellence. This is the story, thus far, of Takia Crystal Kima. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30. a multi-hyphenate uh, actor, director, producer, writer. I can go on and on. Takia Crystal Kimal, welcome to Planet 30. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It is truly an honor. Um, I'm fanning out a little bit, I have to admit. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, quite... Back, su- back at you. 
because I checked out your site and, and it's really cool. Thank you so I'm much. Good company. Oh, thank, oh, of course, of course, I, I, I could do no less. Um, your name, Takia, it means mental revival of God's spirit. Tell, tell me a little bit about that. It's uh, Takia and Kima are my chosen names. I was born with Crystal, and I love that name. It's perfect for me, so I kept it around. But when I was a child, I discovered that the surname of most black people in this country came through the slave trade. Mm -hmm. And I didn't like that. And I decided as a child to get rid of mine and to find something more suitable. And uh, thank goodness children aren't allowed to legally change their names because <laughs> I had some interesting ideas as a child. But I kept that, that notion in my heart. And as I grew older, I started energy that I wanted to be associated with me because I think that names are very important and whenever someone calls you, they call you with a certain energy attached whether they know it or not or you know it or not there's energy that goes with words and names energy is attached to to words and names and I I'm in a you know troubled world in a difficult industry and I wanted you know, something more suitable and that would help me along my journey. Mm. So I looked for names for a long time. I looked at name books and the names for women were, you know, Wednesday and Flower. <laughs> Not that it's no good. <laughs> and one day I was reading Ben Ami's book, God, the Black Man and Truth, and the title of one of the chapters uh, had this word in it, Takia and, and Kima, and I thought, that's the energy I want. And so I chose those for my names, and professionally I put Crystal in the middle so these chosen names could kind of guard me. <laughs> and uh, as you said, Takia means a mental revival of God's spirit, and Kima means to establish oneself, to come to one's feet, to move from invisible to visible. Ooh, lot to unpack, very deep, but I like it. <laughs> well, Thank you. Tell me, what is in the water in Chicago? So many talented people come out of Chicago, including yourself. What was it like growing up in Chicago? It was great. You know, I, I, Chicago is exciting. In any cold place, you have to be determined. It's the kind of place that in winter, if you leave something in the house, you don't go back to get it. You, you just keep moving forward. When you leave your house in winter, you have to have a very good reason. And so, and, and then in the summer, you're so glad that, that you know, you, you party hardy. So, so people in Chicago, you know, I, I love Chicago. I miss Chicago a lot. I'm going back quite soon for, for a nice visit. But um, it, it makes you kind of determined. It's also the history of Chicago, which was very much part of the migration of black people from south to north. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you know, call Chicago because so many people came there and it's it's also because it's 
it's it has a horrific history of violence and racism that continues today and today people uh, claim that it's black people no one ever said you know italian on italian crime but uh, you know my home is the home of uh, a lot of mobsters and a lot of crime and a lot of violence and again when when you see the temporary nature of life. It certainly makes you more determined. In addition to that, Chicago is beautiful. We have beautiful skyline and we have Lake Michigan and we have wonderful architecture and the people are tough and friendly somehow. <laughs> and it's a great theater town where theater is taken quite seriously mm -hmm. I, I can't say that for LA and there's you know I don't know what they're doing now really but I, was, I did a lot of theater before I left and at the time that I was doing theater there was no shortage of it people would go you would do a show and then go to see somebody else's late night show after your show <laughs> and uh, you didn't get sick of theater and you didn't get sick of studying. And there was a kind of camaraderie that is not, I mean, people in Los Angeles are more competitive. I, I think that people in Chicago are more supportive of each other. Mm -hmm. And I think that that for better performers because you're more likely to say, hey, I found out about this class. Do you want to go with me? I found out about this audition. Do you want to rehearse with me? And instead of that, I hope they don't find out. <laughs> I'll go by myself, <laughs> which is the case in other places. But I think, I think all of that adds up to the kind of people you get from Chicago. Gotcha, gotcha. No, was entertainment always the dream? Well, you know... <laughs> I'll tell you a story. I, I have a new show. It's called The Cool Crystal Show. I created it during the, and the, in the beginning of the pandemic. We're, we're still in the pandemic. And I, I started doing monologues from my stage shows. And I thought, I'm going to run out of these eventually. Then what am I going to do? And I decided to just write some new monologues, even though they weren't from a show, and then say it was from a show. And when I started... <laughs> Running the monologues, I realized, hey, this is kind of a good show. And the pretend show that I haven't, it's going to be in the second season, but it's called Things I Could Have Been. Mm. And it's about all the things that I wanted to be as a child. So, uh, you know, I was deeply influenced by my Catholic upbringing. So I, I really wanted to be a nun. Perhaps because I thought they could fly, because you know I came up, you know, in a different time. We had the shows. I thought the, they could the flying nun. Fly, you know, nuns are cool. And I wanted flight attendant because I, I knew that they could, you know, I thought go anywhere in the world for free. I thought that was cool. I was very, as a little child, very aware of the injustices in the world. So I, I wanted to be an attorney. And, and through all of that, I performed. I, I don't remember a time where when I didn't perform. I wasn't a late bloomer where that is concerned. 
It's interesting that you mentioned because my next question actually was, if you were to choose another industry, which would it be? Gardening or party planning? I, I, I'm very much a gardener. When I bought my house, I bought seeds for the garden first. Oh, wow. And then I bought a house to go with my garden. And I, I love, I, I don't host as much. I, I used to host a lot when my sister lived with me. And because I'm, I'm very bashful, but I'm great at a party because I don't have to talk to anybody for, for too long. I can run and hide and say, oh, excuse me, I have to do something. And everybody buys it if you're the host. And so, but, but I like, you know, getting decorations and stuff for parties. So I think I'd be a good party planner or a good planner or something like that. So interesting that you said that you're bashful given your, you know, your, your acting and your characters. Your... I have this expression, I love a huge crowd if we are separated by an orchestra pit. <laughs> Makes sense. Makes sense. <laughs> or, 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 or a camera crew. Yeah, yeah, that, that, um... Yeah, but in the middle of it, no, Mm-mm. no way. <laughs> Interesting. You were saying your uh, comedy group, the Mary Wong Comedy Group, at in, at your high school. How did that sort of yeah. um, prepare you? It wasn't even it wasn't even my high school. I remember the day like it was yesterday. Uh, these I had spoken just very casually to a friend of mine from high school and she had said something like I know these guys that are just like you and I was like cool they must be cool and and she said I'm going to introduce you to them and I was working at Canby bookstore in the mall because that's the perfect job for, for a teenager to work in the mall and I remember looking up and seeing these guys like dip their head in the doorway of the store first one from one side of the door and then the other from the other side of the door and not knowing at all who they were I thought these guys are cool and they're funny and they came in and they said you know they were friends of Lolita's and they were in this group and said I want to you know try out for the group and it was actually at the end of high school and I was really only really in the group the summer after high school because then they kicked me out because no one who is serious about their career goes to college according to them oh Uh, the saving grace was that everyone in the group was kicked out of the group at some point or another so um i didn't i didn't feel bad for too long but we remained friends for a long time and we worked together on a couple of occasions after that and they were just a really sweet, talented bunch of guys. Now, you went to FAMU, fellow HBCU uh, graduate. I, I went to Howard, so I, w- I won't hold that against you. <laughs> well, you know what I'm saying? you got to go someplace. Everyone doesn't get into FAMU. So oh. It's okay. It's okay. Touche, touche. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell me about your experience at FAMU. It was weird and awesome. It was the best of times and the worst of times. I went 
I'll, I'll never forget. I have lots of things that I'll never forget. And they're special because most things I have forgotten. But I was a nerd brainiac in high school, and so I was recruited by a lot of colleges. And when the letters would come, I, I didn't open a lot of them. I would pitch them into a bag in a corner. And I remember getting the letter from FAMU, seeing a snake on the envelope and thinking, who would put a snake? And I pitched it <laughs> in the corner. And the next week in school, I was called to the counselor's office because it was a recruiter was there. And I went and the recruiter was telling me about this reception they were having and the dean was gonna come and was I coming? Did I get my invitation? And I looked at his lapel and saw this like snake thing and I thought, oh, you're from the snake school. Uh, yes, yes. Well, now what, tell me again. Yes, what, what, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and it's, when? Yes, yes, of course, I'm coming. And the guy, got rest his soul, his, his name was George Olesen, and he was the recruiter at the time. And in a half an hour, he made me believe that majoring in business at Florida A&M was the, the best thing I could do. So I went to this, this reception where Doc Mobley, got rest her soul, made me think, I don't know what else. There are there are no other possibilities than this. I mean, she was good, <laughs> and so I chucked all plans to the contrary and accepted a scholarship from the School of Business and Industry, which is one of the top business schools in the country. And indeed, I I got in the talent show my first week on campus. And before the end of the first semester, I was in a freshman class play, and the people who danced in that play broke off and started our own dance company. I don't know if you see where this is going, but uh, (laughs) after two years, I said, who am I kidding? I'm I'm not going into business. I'm, I'm built for the stage, and that's where I'm going. And so I transferred to the theater, dropped my scholarship, and, trans- and got started getting loans and work study. What was that conversation like with the family? Well, I, I was very headstrong and very, I don't know where that decisiveness went, but I did it and then told them about it. Wow. And I had it all worked out. I said, okay, you know, I, I had... The business thing was not going to... And to tell you the truth, I only went to appease my grandmother because she was very nervous about me being a performer. She didn't... She couldn't imagine this career that I've had. And so I thought, I'm going to go there, get this degree, frame it, hang it up on her wall, and then head to New York. That was always the plan. But I thought... should I spend two more years doing this just to frame something and put it on her wall? Nah, I'm going to make it. So I switched my major, applied for a loan, applied for work study, worked out how I still graduate on time, which was a miracle. And, and I said, okay, so this is what's best for me and this is what I've done and it's going to be okay. 
And I'm shocked there wasn't much. I don't think anybody was surprised. They probably were saying, finally, what took you so long? <laughs> um, because that's really all I ever did. So, so it, it went well. And Emmy's theater department was, was, no, was on no one's radar. radar. It was so small that I, I just would never have come there except through the business department. So I think that it was in divine order that I should come for business and then stay for theater. The department was so small. We had two professors. Some classes were only offered once every two, uh, every four years. So it, you know, it, every, all the students could catch it. And because I was only there for two years, I had to co-op at Florida State to graduate on time. One of the classes that I took there was directing. I had three professors in that one class. Wow. <laughs> like, how <are> y'all living? <laughs> what? <laughs> wow. We don't even have three teachers. <laughs> y'all got three in one class. What? <laughs> but I took an overload every semester that I was in theater. And came out uh, that summer, the, su- the, the summer that I was supposed to graduate. So it, it worked out, and I have friends for life, both from the theater department and from the business school. So it, it couldn't have worked out better. Amazing. Now, so I know while you were at uh, Florida a- A&M, you were teaching part-time. And recently, the legendary Felicia Rashad, whom you uh, acted with, uh, on Cosby, she was named the uh, dean of yes of my dear alma mater. Do you see yourself in in such a role at family? I first of all, I love her. Second of all, I love Howard. I am so happy about this. I can't even tell you. And fingers crossed. What I hope is that she will establish an MFA program there. That's mm. what I want because no HBCUs have one. And I'm, I've been waiting them out. I've been waiting a long time for somebody to do it. So maybe she can do it at, at Howard. I, I don't know what her plans are, but, but I would love that. It would, it would, just, it would only be fitting. They just actually renamed the school after uh, Chadwick Boseman as well. Uh, yes, yes, I heard that. I heard that. Um, and, and although I did teach while I was a student there, I taught, actually I taught aerobics in the dorms, and then I taught for the Upward Bound program oh. that same really, really, really busy summer that I don't know how they let me do all of that stuff. But, but I actually went back to FAM a few years ago and taught for a semester as an artist in residence, and it was bar none, my best and favorite job of my life. I, I had an absolute ball. I got no sleep, but I didn't care. I taught a class. I taught um, acting for the camera. I directed a show. I, I directed Pearl Cleach, the Nakarema Society. I, I presented three of my Tools of the Trade workshops, and then I coached and mentored students and was part of their recruitment team. I loved it so much. I would just stay up till all hours going, okay, tomorrow, tomorrow, I'm gonna do, 
oh no, I'll take this one, I've got to take this one. And then, and then they would come in with monologues and I didn't like them, so I wrote monologues for all of them. I just had a ball. It, it was it was just spectacular. And I would, I want, it, it motivated me to, to really go back and get the MFA, but I'm just still kind of waiting it out. I'm waiting for an HBCU or to some other kind of program, because most of the programs are designed for kids straight out of college who don't have my experience in right. advertise things like, you'll, you'll be in a professional show, you'll travel internationally, you'll be eligible for your equity card. You'd be like, Google me. <laughs> that was 30 years ago, what about me? <laughs> so Google I, me. You know, one day I'll find a good program because I don't like to waste my time and I, I don't want to go there and go, yada, 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 give me the degree. I, I want something that feeds me. So I'm waiting it out, but, but I really, I love teaching. I've, I've been a teacher since I, I, the first time I was formally a, a teacher was at FAM when I was doing those things. And then when I graduated and unlike all of my friends in business had no job, I started subbing for Chicago public school system, which was very, very hard because I looked 12 and was, uh, in essence, carded every day. Um, young lady, where's your pass? No, I'm the substitute teacher. Really? Show me something. <laughs> here, here is this right here handy. I wore suits and carried briefcases and wore my glasses. And still, and I was, this was elementary school, so my K through 8. And every single day that I was at a new school, young lady, Oh my God! So <laughs> I belong. I'm a teacher. So it was, but it was wonderful and and uh, terribly hard. I, I taught. Please shut up and sit down. And I learned a lot about human nature. That's one of my other interests: psychology. I'm actually in school for it now. Oh, kids! Kids will, kids will teach you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also wonderful and I missed it as soon as I stopped doing it and so I think that that was part of the motivation for me to start my tools of the trade uh, workshops and classes and lectures which really that began with the National Black Theater Festival who had me come and do a talk one year and I realized how many things are in my head about the business that I take for granted but that people just starting don't know and as the industry changed, it, it remained the same, you know, because I, I like to study, so I like to keep up with things, whether I like it or not. I, <laughs> I know what to do, whether I do it or not. <laughs> and so I'm always amazed at how much people know. And even I've had friends sit in on my classes that are working actors, and I tell them, you know, what? Don't be bored. Come on, let's hang out after the class. No, no, I'll just sit in. And then they'll go, wow, that was really cool. <laughs> what do you have in another class? I'm like, really? So um, now with the pandemic, I've, I'm dipping my toe into doing it online. So someone asked me to, to teach a class online last year, and I did that, and it was really cool. So I did one of my classes online uh, this it feels like last year, but it was still this year. So I'm planning to do the next one. It's it's a scheduling thing now. Awesome. So we'll see. Give me a short 
uh, phrase or word uh, when I mention um, these shows in living color? Madness. And, oh, just one word, madness. <laughs> <laughs> Could be a short phrase or word. Um, madness and mayhem. Madness and mayhem. Um, working with the likes of Jim Carrey and Tommy Davidson. I mean, it must have been. It, it was madness, and, and I didn't know it because that was my first series. So I thought everyone worked till 1, 2, 3 in the morning. I didn't know what a stand-in was. I thought it was just for movies. I didn't know that people in television had stand-ins. I didn't know. <laughs> I mean, we worked so hard, and... I, so my next series, which had children, ah, uh, night and then day, I, I said, okay, I want to tell my agent, I want to work with children from now on because they they can't leap, they can't hold them there until midnight at one, two, three in the morning. They, they got to go home. They take breaks. I remember the first time I came to the set, this was on our own, this the show I did after Living Color. I came to the set and I see this this girl with the sign that has my character's name on it and I thought oh wow they replaced me at lunch and, and I went to the script supervisor and I said yeah, yeah, you know who's, uh, who's, that? who's that and she said well that's your stand-in and I thought no no stand-ins are only in movies because I had done some films before coming out here and I, but I said I'm not gonna you know show that I don't know anything and I look around and everybody's, you know, they're, they're lighting, just like in the movie, they're lighting the scene. And I thought, wow. I made it to the... just do this for children? I made, I made it to the big times. Well, I mean, yeah, because, you know, Fox got away with whatever on Living Color. And we didn't know any better, so... Interesting. We to our, everybody. Not only didn't we have standings, we stood in for each other. <laughs> <laughs> to bring the guest stars into the last minute. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Hello, did, I'm here at five, four, three. <laughs> did, you, did you guys sort of even, could you guys even imagine the impact you were having on the culture at that time? Not a clue. I mean, we were in a bubble. We were working too hard to have any idea what was going on outside of the bubble. You go to work, you come home, you crash. <laughs> Me, anyway. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a hermit, so I wasn't going out partying. So I really didn't get the fuss. And I was telling somebody recently, not until Empire, did I get how everybody else felt on the outside. Because I'd gone home to Chicago, and everybody was talking about Empire, and they were talking about having Empire parties. And I thought, this is what it was like. For everybody else. When in Living Color, yeah. when in living color came out. That must have been cool. <laughs> You're like, I wish I could have been, wish I could have been there. I was just tired all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, second one, Cosby. Wonderful. Just wonderful. I mean, I, I remember the audition for, no, before that, before that, the summer before that, I was, and, and I'm a little bit place dropping right now, but I was in Russia doing a play. 
and with with uh, Oscar directed it with with uh, Lorraine Toussaint and CCH Pounder, and we're all chatting up. Yeah, we're in Russia. How cool is that? <laughs> we're gonna go home and not have a job. <laughs> well, well, because you know back then especially we were still very much on a season. The, the pilots were shot and and then they aired in the fall. And I said, I said, you never know because they're shooting these pilots now but they'll be recasting when we get back because that's also what happens. Right. The pilot industry is not great or somebody gets a better offer and then they're recasting before, before the, go, the show goes forward. And, you know, I was just saying it to say something, but sure enough, maybe I put that into the universe. And I remember when, because the town was a buzz. Bill Cosby's having a new show. Bill Cosby's having a new show. Bill Cosby's, it was the biggest thing since the Cosby show. And I was on another show. I was on a show, I was on a show called The Show, ironically. And I was unavailable to audition because I was already under a contract. And so by the time we came back, though, the show had, the show, the show, was not picked up, and I was available. And it just all worked out that way. And my agent called and said, you know, they were coming for Bill Cosby's new show, and before you do it, he wants to talk to you. And I was like, he who? He <laughs> said, you know, Bill Cosby. And I said, hey, she wants you to call. Here's the number. Oh, my God, I'm not calling Bill Cosby. Are you, are you going to be there? No, it's just going to be me calling him. Oh, I don't. I was scared to actual death. And I believe, we never talked about it, but I really believe in my heart of hearts that phone call is when he decided to not the audition. But I had a lovely conversation with him. None of it, because I was just scared to death. And um, <laughs> I've been at the audition. I don't think I was that great. But they came back, and they had been writing and rewriting and rewriting the show. And I made the call back. And I show, and I think ten days later, I was living in New York. Wow! Shooting the show because they shot the pilots and the episodes, and uh, Dougie and I were the new cast members, and so they reshot some of the scenes to put us in earlier scenes, uh, earlier episodes, so it looked like we were there the whole time. Wow. My my favorite episode is the uh, episode when the president's supposed to visit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, it was, I mean, I, I can't tell you, it, it was surreal. My, my, I mean, I guess if, if it hadn't been Bill Cosby, Felicia Rashad, and Madeline Khan, my mouth would have just been draped for, for four years. Because the people that came in and out, the guest stars that we had, I mean, A1, top notch. Oh my goodness, I can't believe this. And the people that just came by to hang out. And his, you know, we, we were all in this one hallway. And the hallway was 
his assistant and then my room and on the other side of the hallway his room so I had to pass by his doorway to you know before I got to mine so it could never be late because it's like late at your dad's house yeah <laughs> can't but the people I walk by Flymoon.com, you said, yeah? Yeah, com. Film or, or theater, which one do you, um, what's, your, what's your true love, theater or screen? Yes, yes. No, theater, theater definitely. Like, if you said pick one, I would pick theater, even knowing how fleeting it is. I would pick it because there's nothing more exciting because there's simply no net. Even, I mean, live theater is terribly scary. <laughs> I did that before. I did a guest spot only once. I did that a guest spot other than, you know, live interviews. Uh, rock live when it was live. And, and that was quite exciting. But it was like a play that they were, they just happened to be shooting. But Charles S. Dutton, brilliant. Yes, he's so good. All of them. 
uh, Ella Joyce, Rocky Carroll. Ella Joyce, um, yeah. Just, just a, a really, really wonderful. Um, I like what I'm doing, and I like what I'm not doing best. So whenever I'm doing something, especially you know, series for a long time, you really miss always was doing when I right before I came to Los Angeles I was working on a show a little show called Some of My Best and so when I got the show I just kept working and so I debuted it here in Los Angeles and then I took it to Chicago and I traveled with that show whenever I was working for 20 years and as soon as I quote unquote retired it came it's come out of retirement three times now but I started working on another show so I have two shows that I've done you know the whole time I was working in television and I have two that I've workshopped one it's called no no that's not the one I'm going to work on I'm going to work on the one that's called the baby started but I they're they're all really really special it's but theater, you have the opportunity to be honest. And you, you, because, you know, I, I was saying recently that a lot of my friends are like, I can't to get back into the theater. And I said, well, I created a theater in my living room. And wherever I go is a theater. You have your mic. Don't hand me a mic. <laughs> I'm on stage. So I, I, you, you can have, you know, big Broadway with, with you know, you know, where it takes five years for everybody's opinions to tell you if it's going to sell or not. And, but you can also have theater on the beach with no sponsors and no, no, you know, people selling something, telling you what it has to be. So there's that potential for honesty. And, and that's, especially for black people, that that's our last stand. It's, we don't own a lot of television stations. We don't own a lot of distribution channels for film. Theater. Theater we can do and speak our truth. I love film because it is a conductive art. I I, I I took a film class earlier this year and watched a Charlie Chaplin film. Um, I can't believe that Charlie Chaplin would have imagined that I would be watching that film, but I did. And so you have the, and because you can say cut, let's take that again, 39 times, there's the opportunity for perfection. Mm. So I really love, I've never worked on that big a budget film. <laughs> She's like, yeah, we can, did we get it here close enough? Move on, move on. <laughs> but there's that, there's that possibility that you can create a perfect, piece of art that then becomes indelible. Right. And then with and this is much, much more the case everything now. But certainly twenty years ago, television had the power to reach the most people. Because everyone couldn't afford to go out to the theater. But everyone had a television. Right. Or had a television set that could afford to go out to see a movie and or, or a play and so you, you had the potential to reach large audiences and to tell a, a 
a movie, a little bitty movie, and then do it again next week, and then do it again the next week. <laughs> so they're all so, so different. And all, all of them have changed drastically. Theater the least, but the theater has, has changed in that it, it's incorporated so much of its technology. It's, it's rare to see a show now incorporate techno- technology, something, there's a screen someplace showing you something. But I, I love all three and, and I make sure that I'm almost always doing all three <laughs> because I feel like there's so much to, there's so many things to say as an artist and some things can only be said through one medium or another. Some things have to be danced. In the, the opening lines of some of my best friends, I say, some people dance poems, some write them, some sing them, some just bring them to you in your dreams, or so it seems to me. And and that's how I feel about art, uh, that it, it, it must, if something is inside of an artist, it comes out in one way or another, and you just need all of that. You seem to have this knack for dealing with um, younger audiences because from that so Raven to uh, I, you've even uh, done voiceovers for Pinky and the Brain. What is it about the younger audience that attracts you? Um, does it sort of transport you to a, a, a time and place where you're happier, or I, no, definitely not that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think. But it's that part of me really and truly never grew up. That business of play. And I think that it's what makes me a good performer. Because children, and and I feel for the children of today that have all of this technology and are simply not required to use their imaginations, it makes me wonder what the actors of tomorrow will be like. I agree. Because they're not... Their childhood is not training them to imagine being other things. But because when I was a child, my sister and I played with pencils, and the pencils became whatever we wanted them to be. And so we have vivid imaginations because of it. And if you ever watch children just play without technology, they're amazing. And they'll have you sit and drink out of empty cups and believe that you're in high tea. They'll make you believe that they're a monster and that you're you're made trapped in the tower and they're breathing fire. And and I guess that was so much fun. Maybe because it was not a happier, it wasn't a happier time. <laughs> I needed I needed that escape into my imagination. More important, perhaps, to me than for other children, and so I never let go of it. I never let go of the ability to wonderful completely not be, completely be someone else. And my chief point of contention with actors that I teach is, is that they have an inability to let go of themselves. And, and, it, and it takes a bit of courage or a bit of childhood. You have to actually be a child or you have to have the courage to return to that, that point of 
absolute imagination. Very good point. What are you working on now? I am not technically, but a little bit in pre-production for the crystal show. I have a short film proposal on my desk that I can do before I go into production for that show. I am helping the vintage um, short-term daughter promote her song Black and advising her on her album. I'm actually in school studying psychology and I am finishing the final for my new book, Love. What is your what is your ultimate goal? When you're 105 years old and you're on your rocking chair and you know you you reflect on the life that that has been uh what is that one thing that you'll say I wanted to accomplish it and I did? I want to say something lofty like that I changed the world for the better. But that's actually the truth. When I when I think about the art I put into the world, I wanted to make the world better. When I write something, I wanted to improve this cycle of love, twenty eight days of organization, rejuvenation, meditation for inspired is my first actual help book and it it was written for my grandmother alone um, nearly 30 years ago and I never gave it to her I just told her the stuff that was in it and talking to a friend last year about it she said we need that book now wow. and I said yeah I sure will I'll take it all the references Aunt Louise and <laughs> I'll make it a general book for everybody and that's that's fun for me you know I grew up um, with so many angels so many people took care of us people that I can't repay I, I can't repay them they're, they're gone most of them are gone now but I can pay for it through my art I'm feel so lucky to have the talents and the brain that I have that I feel like, you know, I used to dance, I used to dance as well dance before, among other dance companies. And here I was working with a friend in a play and she said, Are you dancing with Nashville this year? I said, Yeah and so you dance? She said, Yeah, I got a few kicks left in me. And I said, Yeah <laughs> And every time I feel like I'm sick of this. I know. I got a few kicks left in me. And I want to kick every one of them high in my nose. I want to kick every one of them. I, I, I have this bit in my show called Stand Up Tragedy because I'm kind of morbid and I, I talk about sad things and happy things. And so um, in, in one of the episodes, I talk about my dream death. It's absolutely the truth. I want to be at the like old, like old, and be most end of a long play, not the end, not the last show, but like the second to last show. And I take my bows, I go backstage, I smell the flowers, so I sit on my rocking chair and I'm out. Wow. 
before my last uh, question, I, there was one I, I have to squeeze in here. You did over 20-something impersonations on A Living Color um, and, and characters. My favorite, of course, being West Indian is Heather, Heather uh, Hilda Headley, I'm sorry. Which one of the impressions that you do do is, is, is your favorite? Whoopi Goldberg, it, I didn't do her before I started the show. I didn't come in with that. It was given to me, and and I, I couldn't hear her in my ears, so it was hard to learn. And I was really panicking up until the day that we shot the bit. And it wasn't until right before, it was like, you got to come out right now. And so I, that was such a wonderful moment. That impression, but um, one impression that I came in with was Edith Bunker because I loved <laughs> the show. All in the family. Oh, Archie! Oh, Archie! And it, it just—it was. So, I, I remember one time I was at odds with the producer, with the producers of the show. And I don't know what had happened, but I was missed it. That was something. And to get on my good side, they were like, well, you know, next season, we're going to have Carol O'Connor on. I am, if you look at the couple, there's a little picture of me in the dictionary. And I was like, oh, Carol O'Connor? <laughs> like, yeah, you going to do a guest spot on in the family. <laughs> and it was like, okay, I'll be good, I'll be good. <laughs> Legendary stuff. Lie to me. <laughs> but, but then I was like, I had to give it to him. Like, uh, uh, that was. <laughs> you got me. So, this is the uh, part of the interview where I strap on my spacesuit and I go out into the atmosphere and I leave you on planet 30 all alone. Say whatever it is you want to the audience, uh, pitch whatever you want, and give us your contact. Okay. I would, well, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for inviting me to be on Planet Thirty. My website for more information on me is tkeyah.com. That's T-K-E-Y-A-H.com. For more information about the Cool Crystal Show or to see all episodes of Season 1, go to kima.com. That's K-E-Y-M-A-H.com. To uh, hear more information about Fly Moon, that's F-L-Y-Y-M-O-O-N, go to flymoon.com. And you can find out what I'm up to and what I'm thinking about. And, you know, life is hard. I really believe that everybody is doing the best they can, even when the best they can. So I ask people to break, to give others a break, and to give themselves a break. Wonderful. The legendary, the incomparable Takiya Crystal Kima. I cannot thank you enough. I'm still cheesing. I'm still geeking out here. <laughs> thank you so much for being on the podcast. You're very, very welcome. Have a great day. You too. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Planet 30. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at OnPlanet30. Like us on Facebook.com slash Planet30. Our email address is OnPlanet30 at gmail.com. That's O-N-P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y at gmail.com. For more information about Planet 30, visit our website, planet30.com. That's P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y dot com. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30.